Miss Macintosh, my darling, chapter 18. What next? That night's passage, unlike any night before or afterward, that when I was confronted by the phantom of change, phantom which had seemed fixed, the flesh and blood and nothing else, nothing escaping definition, then what was done that crucial night, and what escapes now the verbal memory, memory which, though it may seem all-inclusive and final, is always moving towards something else, the something which cannot be put into our paltry language, and which is so very simple and clear that no one can utter it except by infinite winding and winding among those subtle complications, providing more complications. Mysteries begetting only further mysteries, questions which can have no answer but the void where we are not. Memory is surrounded by the unknown, the void, and there is so much that we have not heard, much that we have not seen. Memory sometimes provides the one flower more than ever blossomed. Memory sometimes omits the only flower there really was. I am not sure now that Miss Mackintosh, who had been at dinner that red-headed plain nursemaid, and at midnight was bald and naked, having no hair to cover her, not even one poor feather of pretense. I am not sure now that Miss Mackintosh did say all I remember her as saying, all I remember her as saying in that night's passage, when nothing seemed certain, not even that the night should ever end. Perhaps in retrospection, in retrospection, every lost event must be changed by the illumination larger than that of an any instant larger than life. We can never see an old face as new, not even though we look upon it with new eyes. There is no new experience which shall not have emerged from the old. There is no surprise but of our own slow-wittedness, our own failures to understand that the thing was always present. I was taken that night by quick surprise, though yet like some angelic demon this thing seemed also to have emerged from the depths of my own consciousness, an image which had already haunted, perhaps unperceived, perhaps dimly seen, the chambers of the mind, an image which had already followed like a cold shadow through all the ins and outs of thought. This phantom of change, which was the flesh and blood, the fixed, the true. That night the curtain of illusion had been stripped away, it seemed, even as if the illusion were the only reality, and our self-deception was the only rose. That night I was confronted suddenly by the forlorn something which had been hidden like that in everyone's heart, which no one dares to face. The knowledge that each must wear a mask which screens him from himself and pushes him farther and farther away into the reaches of the imperial darkness. The knowledge that the external world we take for granted is but insubstantial as a madman's dream. All we know, or shall ever know, and we are always bald when we are robbed of our illusions, and we know not who we are or where. For we were only these, and always fading. I heard the curtains blowing, the shutters banging, the weathercocks creaking to their own rusted music, a strange and mournful concert of which the score was never written and was lost in that night's passage. I heard quick, definite footsteps moving, and surely it was a familiar sound as when, in dark or sunlit days, Miss Mackintosh would walk back and forth during our lessons, and I heard her hands slapping against her sides as when she had used to keep up her circulation, as she would say, and ward off death. All the while, however, there was also this other Miss Mackintosh, this fearful man who had lifted me on to his bed and whose bald, furrowed head loomed above me like a skull, the eyes missing from the eye holes. There was this great shell like a mollusk or coffin, 
with loose hinges and filled with the roarings of the sea, opening, closing in the darkness, would that my lover had been a man. It was neither man nor woman, but some angelic demon, the flesh and blood with features missing, senses missing, and yet with something more than sense it provided. It was almost nothing. It was more than the whole world besides. Though then I could not realize this thing as I would come to realize it in the after years. The lover who had emerged was surely no man, but only such a man as is hidden in the woman, just as there must also be in every man a woman secret and recessive, the forever fading image of the other self, the lost soul, one who combs her long gold hair upon the rock, one whose body is scaled with silver scales gleaming through fog and tide, one too beautiful ever to have reached the shores of mortal life, one who trembles on the margin of heaven or hell, she who may be seen only in the tremblings of broken in in intuitions, she who fades away and yet is always present in the darkness and in the light, this now looming above me, this was surely the secret man. The secret man was he who held me pinioned in his mighty arms, his limbs too strong to fight against, he whose voice I heard, gruff yet familiar, crying out as if above the storm of life, crying out even when there was no other sound but of the crossbeams creaking, the winds blowing through empty chambers so that the house seemed swollen with music, the waves white-lipped and sobbing for all ghostly things. Who was that old rapist of not Miss Mackintosh, she who had warned me against him, that he might be loping through purple fog where there should be no ear to hear my crying? Who else could it be but Miss Mackintosh, an old nursemaid, who had been very plain, her eyes protruding and purple as a rabbit's? Whose but her enormous head looming above me in the foggy darkness, that head which was chalk-colored chalk as the dead moon which draws, in collaboration with all the planets, the spring tide in its wake, the waters piling high in quiet bays? Whose but her amorphous forehead, forever sloping upward like a snow-topped peak? Whose that lifted shoulder cold as snow and sharp as ice at some high altitude? Whose that hand pressed heavily upon my mouth? Whose that knee driving against my ribs? Whose that heart which pounded, vast and resounding as the hammer of heaven upon the anvil of earth? Whose those pointed ears in the starlight? Whose that voice crying out with broken cryings, heavy as the drag of the undertow, then high and thin like a lost seabird screaming above clouds in a world of water, the timber changing so that there seemed two voices? Sometimes near, sometimes far, that voice crying, moaning like a foghorn. Oh, how ephemeral we are! How tra oh, how transient we are! Were we? Oh, how transient were we, my child! The earth has known us not. Our mothers and our fathers never knew us. Watchman, what of the night? Who goes there? That bald, scarred head floating above me, pillowed with waves of darkness. Those blank eyes staring at the void sky. The stars eclipsed. Those eyes filled then with light, which came from no reflection, no searching beam, that forehead without brows or hairline, that peak cloud-topped, that viewless summit. Sometimes I nearly swooned away, and at others my consciousness was extended to the breaking point, even as I heard in the midst of this great strangeness, which was the departure from the feathered security of the past, familiar statements repeating themselves as if all were normal as if everything were in its fixed, accustomed place, as if even this bald head, smooth and hard as a billiard ball, should be an apparent familiar thing, eliciting no comment from those who knew it best and had always lived with it. That head which was now so cold for the first time touching mine, 
The old foghorn voice, the voice that had often changed to thin and high, the nasal twanging, the clearing of the throat, those false teeth clicking, clicking like old bones or dice in the wind. Should I not recognize it even in a dream? How could I live through a night which would never pass? Who now should save me? Had I not lost my mind, even at the first blow of fateless fate? Who now destroyed my body? Was this love, or was this death? Dead men tell no tales. I heard that hoarse, pained voice scraping, and I am dead, wrapped in this house of clay, these, these mortal vestments. Thus did sparrows fall. God pity us. God pity the small fishes and the great whales beached on this beach. God pity my right arm. God pity my left. The left breast is already gone. God pity the stars, the moon, the empty places, the uncreated, the created. Where is my old heart, or where is my hair? I tried to break loose again, but those arms held me fast, and this voice moaned with awful resonance in my ear. First things come first, ladies before gentlemen, will plunge me in the purple flood, that I might lose myself in thine, will bear the sinner up, oh, wash our sins away and leave us white as snow, oh, where's what your Iowa, and where are my eyeglasses, for the fog is blowing in my eyes? Where I wondered were the cherry blossoms and crabapple blossoms blowing like surf, the sumac trailing the gray fences, and where were the green fields, and where were the happy children? Where was Miss Mackintosh, her red hair gleaming in the sunset? I cried, but my voice was not heard, and there's no other person but Miss Mackintosh. Her head is cold and bald as the moon, sweating in the murky darkness, the gray swollen fog heavy as the sea. Surely I thought Miss Mackintosh it was. Surely I thought Miss Mackintosh it was whom I should have always feared, and I was harrowed now by fears greater than if I had ne never known her before, greater than if I did not recognize, even at the edge of oblivion, certain of her features and her characteristics, which had seemed so much a part of her personality in the light of day, that hers was that breath which rasped like a rusted hinge, that hers was that knob where the breast was missing, that hers was that strong right arm against which my feeble blow should be as powerless as if it struck now the invulnerable air, that head curving upward forever, no brow, no brow that was high, no brow that was low, none that was middle, no ledge, no limitations, a surface greater than I should compass. I screamed and tried to die, fighting with shadows, with surfaces which were not. Unfold yourself, she cried, her voice as stern as it had often been before. Do not resist, struggle no more, for it is useless, and it would not be common sense, my dear. Be silent as the corpse. Each must lose the last battle. Each must lose, in fact, the first, as I have often told you. So let us not give away to surprise, for it was always so. And it was never any different. This earth is but the poor testing ground for the king rail with the bleeding throat for the paper nautilus torn by wind, the horseshoe crab broken by surf, the dead calm and all oxen are our brothers. Oh, ephemeral are we, she cried, her voice rising, thin and high as the dream of ethereal surf which reaches no shore, and we shall pass as the small birds, the leaves, the grass, the snow, and we shall leave no trace which can be followed, only the worn is clothed, clothed, and the worn is our little brother, and our own mothers shall not know us. Our nakedness is God's nakedness. My head roaring, I heard her say, her voice as male as something I might have dreamed in a young girl's dream of love. One kiss is all I ever asked, and that was never given. Where is Issachar, my dear, my dear of dears? Where is Reuben? Where is Nabal? Where is Mr. Spitzer? Where, oh, where is Miss Mackintosh? That old fool we used to see here. No fool like an old fool, my skull is laughing. Out, out, brief candle. Man was but a shadow and a breath. Where are my knitting needles? Where's my heart? Locate the left breast. 
those false teeth clacking like a pair of weird castanets, everything whirling around me, old playing cards, suns and moons and stars. God help us all, she cried, pushing against my shoulder, greaves of brass upon her legs, a target of brass between her shoulders, her spear like a weaver's beam of solid oak, her helmet shining. One leak sinks a ship, and one sin sinks a sinner, and we are sinking far from shore, and we are sinking far from any shore. God help us. All hands were lost, that gray voice moaning, all heads like meteors in the wind. Our sails were burning, the islands sank like the great continents. We should be found as missing when the roll was called up yonder, when the countless stars were counted, and God himself should not know us, and our own parents should not know us. Child, we are sinned against more than we are sinning. I can go no further. God pity the withering of the right arm, the left. Oh, who am I? What shepherd? I am the lamb, the fleeced lamb. God pity the heart which beats no more. God pity Miss Mackintosh and Mr. Spitzer and all who died. Clubs are trumps, that low voice cried, hollow and empty, the nostrils flaring, the eyes lighted with the unholy light. Luck is for the few, but death is for the many. Long ago I died and was not buried, never married, never buried. An old man's love is a young maid's sorrow, and so I always told you. The bald head as soon as shaved, I never denied it. No grass grows on a busy street. Her bald head touching against mine, her cheeks sweating, her forehead cold as cracked and frozen marble. Child, have you lost your senses? What do you imagine? Nothing that you think is happening is happening. Nothing that you think is true is true. Nothing that you see is real. She shook my shoulders, her bare knee bone scraped against my knee. It was all a dream, a poor man's dream, her voice common and flat. And it was always this, but you were living in a fool's paradise, and now you know there is no answer. Heaven's nets are woven very wide, her voice drifting and high as if she were far away. But none shall escape them, you shall not escape them. We each must die and know that this life was all a dream, and there was nothing. Where was my hair, or where was my love? Where had she taken her constitutional, and where was her black umbrella? And where were her sea boots, and where was her faded pla plaid, which she had worn buttoned at the chin? And where was her fishnet bag with her pilgrim's progress and a loaf of bread for the seagulls? And where was that old Miss Mackintosh, whom I had always known, an old red-headed nursemaid spouting proverbs? What bitter pill is this, she cried. Would I deflower the rose, I who am the last of rose of the last summer on earth? God loves you, God loves the wind, the empty places. There is no God. There was no God, but the true lover remembers everything, and the true love is that which does not alter when it, altera when it alteration finds. The true love wears an old shirt and is familiar. Do you remember me, she asked, Miss Mackintosh, poor soul? God's poorest creature who worked here for her living and whose skirts and shirts you ironed. Did you not know me? Will you know me when you see me again? If you have seen me every day and do not know me now, how will you know me in the future? Ah, uh, there will be no future. There was no past. There was no use, my groaning, my flailing, my trying to struggle against an antagonist who took so many forms and yet had none, and that was the surface without depth, and was as bald as the skull uncovered, the naked rock, the crumbling tower. Perhaps, however, the lack of deception is always another deception. I am not sure how that Miss Mackintosh did say all I remember her as saying, though I heard her voice bellowing above me and seemed to be riding in the icy wind, and we passed through many a starry ring and unknown skies, and we plunged from abyss to abyss, yet did not lose our balance. 
I am not sure that when Miss Macintosh put a feather pillow over my head, I sat with her long legs like those dulled garden shears cutting into my sides. She really did tell me to jump a fence, trot, get down on my knees, eat meadow grass and wildflowers, dream no more, for we ourselves were the dream, the rider, and the horse. These would have been, under the circumstances, facetious remarks, as if I myself had become Falava, as if she were now the rider, her face pale and drifting, a skull that rode upon a cloud. No, indeed, it was only Miss Mackintosh I saw again, Miss Mackintosh who gave me something to remember all my life, the heavy, claw-shaped mark of her hand upon my forehead. There, that will teach you to remember me, she said, wiping my foaming mouth with a wet cloth. There, that will teach you, oh, I hope, charity. Ever since, in a moment of extreme revelation, when I have seen that people are not exactly what they have seemed to be, I have tried to be charitable, not only for their sakes, but as a retribution for my cruelty to my darling, who had seemed so very plain, for I had been cruel to her, and I had discovered her essential baldness. After our physical encounter and struggle and her triumph, perhaps we both were crying like two children in the streaked darkness that was cold and sad and unhuman. Perhaps there were only my own cries I heard. Had I truly lost my mind? Was I only some poor sleepwalker who had stumbled upon this dreadful thing, the secret of another, the lonely secret? How should I face her in the morning light again, or should all things be as they had been, oblivion covering over this bald head? She scolded gently. She tried to talk reason to me, even there where I lay in the crook of her old arm, staring with wild and reason at the head which still was bald, the bald head where nothing grew and which seemed to have no character of its own. Her voice was plain plaintively intimate and reassuring, but I knew even then that this dear intimacy could never last, and I was as disappointed already as when one looks back upon a faded dream, evading final description or definition, yet seductive through its very evasiveness, and seeing more of the future than of the past. The dream is never complete, the dream is always partial, even when it is whole. There are certain features missing, others only vaguely sensed, and something new arises through their absence. And in this case, the dream was a goal toward, toward which I'll head it, but I had already outdistanced it, and I was looking back upon that which would be another's future, or so I felt, staring at the essential baldness of one creature. Under our interlocked bodies, the aged bedsprings creaked like the distraught music of the errant wither veins, and there were white sheets blowing in the wind, the shutters banging against the sides of the house all night long, with the slappings of waves against rocks and broken oars and cries of seagulls. There were rustlings of tiny wings in the sagging eaves, the way ruined chimneys which leaned awry under the floating clouds. There were dark, shrill wings in the intersides between the moldy walls, knockings, hammerings of all kinds of lost sensations. I knew even then, as she held me in her arms, that our proximity was doomed, that we must part, that she must always leave me. She drew me close to her, kissing me wetly on my eyelids and my eyes, until I knew that my sorrow was not my sorrow, that these were all her salt tears which streaked my cheeks and made me sad, that it was her weakness. She was almost timid now, rubbing her smooth cheeks against my cheeks until my cheeks burned, her voice whispering into the shell of my ear. Her voice was gentle but brisk, her hands as cold as lilies on a grave which is filled with water to the brim. She was so very near, her bald, furrowed head spotted with dark splotches as of blowing rain, her rigid limbs wrapped round mine, her strong arm under my shoulder, and yet I knew her weakness, that her strength was itself a delusion that she had lost some great ba greater battle than ours. 
The first sunlight bisected the shadow, one rounded eyeball lighting, and I saw her ear like a conch trumpet, her bald head foaming in the whirlpool, one breast of milky whiteness lighted even as she tried to explain that what I saw I did not see. That it would be banished with the honest dawn which would dispel these vagrant foolish dreams. She was only herself, she said. She was not one who could hold with the hounds while she ran with the hares, and little would she care to live in a house divided, to stand with one foot in the sea and one foot on the shore, for common sense forbade it, and she was no deceiver, not even of the deceiving, but very plain and clear, and always had been, and doubtless always would be. She could not deceive even the blind, for the blind had fingers. Her fingers reached through the livid darkness. She was so very near, brushing her cheeks against mine, trying to hammer in, she said, a little reason, trying to restore me to my senses. The bloom of my youth was not lost. There was no deep cause for regret. We should live through this night, even as we had lived through so many other nights. She was still my guardian, the monitor of all my normal days, and she would never cease to be sincere, even though subjected at times to my misunderstandings. Fiddler crabs would pl should play their music at her wedding if ever she were married. How should she impart to me a grain of common sense that salt of earth, or her failing strength which grappled against such great and overwhelming odds, like some poor swimmer who sinks in sight of shore? Her breath blew against my mouth. I felt the flutterings of her eyelids, her voice complaining, wandering and sad, her hollow cheeks touching against mine. All flesh, she said, is as the burned grass. The heaven wills our pleasure even as it signs our doom, and the brief candle goes out, and every heart is marred to married and every heart is married to death, who is the bridegroom and the bride. <laughs>